Hello, you're listening to the Ambition Podcast. I'm Ellen Buchan, Insights and Communications Executive at AMBA and BGA. This week on the podcast, we were joined by Paul Ciarto, who's the founder of PS Group Holdings, a private equity company. Paul gave some really great advice on how anyone can become an investor. He also gave his predictions on the future of the investment market and how potential and current investors could navigate this. Finally, he gives advice on how entrepreneurs can survive and make their business thrive. Here's that conversation. So to start off, could you tell me a little bit about yourself and your career, please? Well, my name is Paul Ciardo. I'm 43 years old, and I currently run my own private equity organization called PS Group Holdings, which invests in pretty diverse assets ranging from uh, combative systems to construction management, pharmaceuticals, uh, software development, uh, technical, and so on and so on. Um, I, uh, I've been doing this for eight plus years. And prior to this, I was in the world of large cap management and implementation. Um, and I did that through um, my own organizations and being the CEO of a few pretty large uh, publicly facing organizations. And prior to that, I was uh, in the military for eight years doing uh, as a nuclear technician for the U.S. Navy. And, uh, you know, I went in as that and came out as a as a uh, individual that was tracking terrorists out in Naples, Italy. So. So that's pretty much me. I've uh, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always been in the world of program and project uh, management and uh, uh, delivery excellence. Amazing. What a career. So I know you touched on it already, but could you delve a little bit deeper on what your current company, PS Group Holdings, does? So PS Group Holdings is a... Is a um, it's a it's a small private equity organization that uh, I founded about eight years ago, and I I had the ability to do this because we sold uh, I sold one of my uh, larger assets at that time, and I said, okay, what am I going to do? And uh, I loved working with uh, diverse organizations, and the uh, the best way for me to do that was to begin investing in you know smaller than medium sized and larger assets. And what we do is we have a uh, we have a model of you know working to amplify great ideas uh, from inception to all the way through exit, or collaborating with uh, you know small to mid sized organizations between you know five and fifty million to help them pretty much reorganize their their operations uh, from a financial you know human capital standpoint you know branding marketing and go to market strategy to hyperinflate valuation and my goal is to get them on a path of success um, you know stabilized and success and hyper growth and support them to you know to get the highest valuation possible and either uh, capitalize on that valuation with a uh, additional funding or or an exit. So, um, yeah, I mean that's what we do. We help companies succeed. We help companies transform into highly successful, uh, you know, operational engines. That sounds fascinating. And when you were starting up this organization, what was the biggest challenges that you faced? 
I would say the greatest challenges in the beginning was um, it was actually working with the uh, the organizations from a you know infusion of you know best practice. I'd say in the beginning, uh, probably my models weren't as templatized or you know systematic as they should have been, and uh, even working with these these organizations that I was trying to you know assist, um, it's challenging because you know everyone needs help, nobody wants help, everyone knows exactly what they're doing, but they all need help to get it get it done, and uh, really getting engaged, getting uh, you know best practice models implemented with these organizations, I'd say was the biggest challenge in the beginning. And it was probably due to, you know, one, I was, it's not that I was new at it. It's just that I was new at, you know, implementing in this model, in this mode of operation. So it was more of, you know, uh, you know, trial after trial, getting it right, creating the right models um, that, uh, that not only work, but they were received, you know, to the point of, okay, this is what we understand. We trust this model. Let's go full forward, uh, full force forward. I mean, getting an organization to adopt and to trust a you know a third party organization's you know growth and stabilization practices is not an easy task. And um, I would say that is the uh, that was the most challenging when first putting together Kiss Group Holdings. But you know, after you know half a dozen times of you know repeatable success, you start. Your models begin to mature. Your 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 confidence level with the implementation practices are really uh you know are really starting to you know be noticed, and uh, that actually feeds into the implementations that we're doing. So it sounds like you're a bit of a disruptor, and um, I know that you're an expert in digital disruption. So I was wondering what you saw as being the next big digital disruption. So I, I love this topic, and uh, there's a few organizations that have put up uh, what are called disruption maps for for you know you know current markets. And if you take a look at um, you know the small bang, you know small effect, um, small time frame, and you know compared to the you know big bang, big time frame, uh, you know models, you know who's really within these quadrants of getting disrupted. And, you know, the, the reality is every single organization right now is being disrupted due to, uh, let's call it the, you know, the, the digital advancements that are happening around us. I mean, data is king. And if an organization isn't focusing on data right now, and what I mean by focusing on data is, you know, really understanding what the customer needs and wants are, uh, instead of trying to force product and service you know, into the marketplace before they really understand customer demand. Um, any organization that's not doing that will be disrupted. They're going to be disrupted and displaced within the marketplace. And I'd say the greatest, uh, you know, factors right now the, and the, the leading innovations right now that are causing the most disruption are, are uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, you know, VR, virtual reality. Uh, you, you see that uh, Facebook just changed their name to Meta. I mean, everyone's trying to go down this path of metaverse, you know, and it's 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 less about you know creating a uh, you know a parallel universe. It's more about understanding people, understanding data, understanding needs and wants, and how to 
you know, indirectly, you know, guide or, or directly manipulate, you know, consumer bases down a path of, um, you know, following your product path or service path. So I think all organizations out there, if they're not thinking that way, um, again, it's, uh, you know, they have probably 10 years or less before the, uh, the true digital, uh, digital age begins. So aside from digital disruptors, do you have any other predictions on maybe the future trends in the next five years of business in a more general way? Well, I mean, if you if we want to get into the uh, you know geopolitics and global economics, um, I would say over the next uh, probably two years, I mean, the 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 entire global economy is gonna is probably gonna change again. Um, uh, if we take into consideration what's happening in the United States right now, with you know, call it inflation or even hyperinflation. Um, if you take a look at what's happening uh, from a regulatory standpoint in the United States, and now you know, uh, you know, integrate that with what's happening abroad, uh, where China is becoming more aggressive with their expansion strategies, not just from an economical standpoint, but also from a you know military standpoint. Um, they just there was just something on the uh, news yesterday that announced that China is really pushing hard in in Africa, where they will have five military installations uh, throughout Africa. You know, by 2023, 24. I mean, that is actually very you know uh, it's 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 scary to to think about that. Where you have the United States as the you know the global stabilizer right now enforcer of uh you know attempting to enforce more equality around the globe from a you know de- democracy standpoint but when you have countries like you know china starting to you know push down this path where i mean they're a communist country you know it's a uh, it's government ruled it's uh people don't have the same freedoms that they have here i mean and they're really starting to expand you know rapidly and aggressively you know, throughout uh, the world, um, when you consider that and where their economy is going, because this whole world of, you know, this pandemic has caused a, you know, we, you know, we see on the news, oh, wow, look, look, the economy is flourishing. I mean, that's, those aren't the facts. I mean, if you take a look at the global economy, you know, things have slowed down. I mean, economical growth in Asia has slowed, which means, you know, we have most definitely slowed, uh, which means that Europe has most definitely slowed um, because Asia is the manufacturing, you know, arm of the world. So if they're slowing, that means, you know, supply and demand is slowing. And when you start seeing supply and demand, you know, supply shortages, um, you know, inflation and, um, you know, challenges from, you just the ability to purchase things. I mean, you're going to see possible recession, recessions happening uh, in the United States, you know, probably Europe. Um, so I think over the next two years, you're going to see a probably an economical slowdown. You're going to see probably an increase in aggressive uh, military behavior around the world um, because economies are tight. Uh, militaries start to become aggressive. That's just how it's always been. And I think, uh, I think especially for us here in the United States, we're going to see, we're definitely going to see inflation, maybe even hyperinflation. We're going to see an economical slowdown. We're going to see, you know, challenges, turmoil between the United States, you know, Asia, even Russia. You're going to see, 
I think we're going towards the the new global power shift um, with uh, with China. So I think the next five years is going to be really, really interesting. And I recommend to everyone out there um, focus on a path of stabilization. And, um, you know, I, I love investments, but, you know, everything's hyperinflated right now. Real estate's hyperinflated. The, the stock market is hyperinflated. It's actually, you know, ridiculous where, where, where it is right now. So there's going to be a, you know, marketplace normalization that's going to happen over the next two years or less. And I'd say cash is king and stabilize because it's going to be a heck of a ride over the next uh, two to five years. Quite some prediction. And I'm hoping this will tie in, but I'm really not sure what it means. So I really wanted to ask you that you predicted we would be in a bear market um, in the future. Can you explain what this means and maybe how investors can use this to their advantage? Think of it as a, uh, a one is a more aggressive market, you know, versus a very conservative market. So it's, uh, you know, where, you know, uh, bull is everyone's putting money into the marketplace, bear people are typically pulling money out of the marketplace. So um, do I believe it's going to turn into more of a bear market? Yes, because again, the, the, the marketplace is hyperinflated. I mean, there's nothing that is supporting a hyperinflated market right now. It's just not. I mean, to have the stock market at 34, 35, whatever it is, I mean, there's nothing that supports that. I mean, there's 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 actually a lot of cash liquidity in the marketplace and no one can find anything to buy. I mean, big P's, private equity, um, cash is sitting there. So there's nothing good to buy right now. Everyone's still looking for winners, which don't exist. Um, you know, there's this false impression that the, you know, purchasing is up and so on, but it's like people have less money because, you know, of the current economical state with inflation. It's like, it's not that they have less, but they have less purchasing power, you know, um, unless people even want to work. So it's like, it's as if the government is creating this false, false economical condition, which it's going to hit us hard, you know, over the next two years. And uh, it's like the administration just approved an infrastructure budget and then a build back better budget, you know, two, three trillion dollars. It's like, where's this money even coming from? You know, it's like, um, I, I don't know. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know who's paying for it. And, you know, when you start doing things like that, you create a false economical state that will, you know, that will, you know, call it stabilize the uh, the economy for some time, but cash will run out. So it's like you can't live off of, you know, government, you know, uh, handouts forever. So, yeah, that's what I mean by where the market is, you know, bear bull. I think you're going to get to the point where really smart investors, they know what's going on. They can, you know, it's not that they're fortune tellers, but the math, math doesn't lie. And when you start seeing what's happening, um, you need to be proactive so you don't lose all of your money. The inexperienced investors will keep dumping their cash into a you know a hyperinflated market, thinking it's well, it's it's got to you know it's going to stay great. It's going to you know continue going up. It's it's just not the case. It just it can't. And from your LinkedIn, you seem really positive about people kind of starting their investment journeys. And how should people start their investment journey when they maybe don't know anything about investments and this is all going over their heads? Well, it's it's here's the thing. I mean, investments don't investing isn't just about investing in like the stock market. Investing is being it means 
having a very, very diverse portfolio. And I think, you know, free cash, like, uh, you know, you know, cash that you have available, um, putting it into a savings account or checking account that's going to earn you 0.00001% on your money. It's, it doesn't make any sense because those banks are actually using your money to convert it into higher yields. So, um, your best bet is to, um, from a beginner's investment standpoint, I mean, there's many, many platforms out there from a you know uh, market exchange standpoint where you can easily begin investing. Um, do I recommend that right now? Probably not because of where the marketplace is going. I would say um, real estate is always good. It's cyclical. And what's happening right now in the, um, the current real estate market is that you know, house prices are really high, but, uh, you know, rates are really low. So even if market, even if the real estate comes down a bit, um, and you have an equity gap, you know, and if rates stay low, which they probably won't because of inflation, but if you take advantage of current rates, you can, you know, you can probably do pretty well through the real estate cyclical model, you know, the cycles that are happening. I would say also that, you know, real estate is great because there's going to be a, I believe there's going to be like an excessive rental market. So if you own assets, which will, you know, can appreciate or depreciate, but real estate is, you know, um, from a growth standpoint, it will always grow. Um, just based on history, I mean, that's a really good place to start. And and then I would say meeting demands of consumers. I mean, I think that's probably the best place to start because, you know, everyone needs things, everyone wants things. And right now we're going down this path of uh, living in a, in a digital age, in a, uh, you know, virtual age where you can pretty much start a business today for pennies. You can get online. You can, you know, find, you know, merchandise, and you can offer services that um, people need or want. Um, for me, that's why I started PS Group because I believe the best investments right now are our business. I mean, um, you know, if, if the economy is changing now, but you know, during the pandemic, there were a lot of a lot of businesses that were suffering. So we actually invested in organizations to help stabilize. And then when the economy started picking up a little bit, um, it was actually a really good time. So you saw a, you know, a, a, a rapid increase in your uh, investment value. But um, so, yeah, I mean, if you're going to invest, you're gonna, you need to look at investments that have longevity, that have, you know, that you can quickly understand the cyclical, um, you know, uh, gains and losses for those investment uh, uh, areas. And uh you know, don't be afraid to work. And you just touched on um, starting your own business. Um, and I really wanted to ask you something that really stood out to me on your website was um, a quote saying, every entrepreneur is a survivor at first. Um, can you expand a little bit more on that and maybe give some advice to entrepreneurs who are just starting out on their journey? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I think I think everyone, every entrepreneur is a you know I like to call them uh, survivorpreneurs because. Um, and, and here's the thing: I mean, the 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 title of entrepreneur has been abused over over the past several years because what's happening is everyone can now become a CEO and everyone wants to you know watch uh, Instagram and TikTok and see these you know. I'll call them clowns that are running around with their 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 leased uh, Lamborghinis and in their 
you know, uh, uh, rented penthouses, acting as if they are, you know, billionaires of the world when they're they're They may be making some money, but their margins are so small. And what they're doing is they're creating this false impression of what an entrepreneur is. An entrepreneur isn't someone who is going out to buy, you know, you know, houses and Lamborghinis. An entrepreneur is someone who is trying to create impact in the world. They're trying to bring something to the marketplace. They're trying to, um, they're trying to succeed at, you know, a, a, uh, you know, a, a business, you know, they're trying to, you know, they're, they're doing all they can to, um, take what they have and, you know, make it into something. So, how do you do that? You know, you, you need basic infrastructure and, you know, you need to have a plan. And most of all, you need to understand that you can't quit. You have to survive. Um, too many people give up on their entrepreneurial endeavors because it's really, really hard. Everyone sits back and says, oh, well, it really stinks being an entrepreneur and I'm going to go do something else, you know? And then what happens is they don't even give the opportunity, you know, time to really exist or really grow. So they'll go down this path of, yeah, hoorah, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to watch, you know, this clown on Instagram and, you know, they have a Lamborghini, they started a business and I'm going to do the same. It's like, that's not how it works. It's, it's about, you know, creating a model and, you know, putting so much effort into it and it's really like, that's really the secret of being an entrepreneur is there's an equation of effort. I mean, if you're willing and able to put in the time and you see your time as an investment in building the idea, the operation, the business, I mean, how could you really fail? I mean, if you've done some homework on needs and wants, and if there's really a need, how can you fail? I mean, people fail because they don't put in the work. They don't have a survivor mindset that this must survive. If this dies, so do I. So if you apply that to entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur, um, I don't see how you can, you know, how it can't survive. That's some great advice. Um, and kind of leads me on to my next question, um, which is you're a leader, leader at Mentobo. Uh, can you give me a little bit more um, about this? Yes, of course. So uh, Mentobo is a uh, is an organization that was uh, built to help uh, support uh, developing entrepreneurs. So it is the uh, it's a platform that provides the the infrastructural needs. Um, so so for example, an, entre- an entrepreneur needs you know knowledge on how, what and how they should do it. Um, and Tobo provides that. And before you can even be an entrepreneur, there's other infrastructure needs that you 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 must have, such as like health insurance, you know, dental insurance, certain you know uh, uh, foundational things that you need to survive and take care of yourself and your family. Mentobo actually provides all this. Um, in addition, before you start, you know, spending money and running, it's like, what about all the tools? Um, I mean, Mentobo provides this. It gives you access to all the tools you could ever need or want uh, to be an entrepreneur. It gives you a roadmap on how to start. It uh, it gives you the all the infrastructural needs that I know and my team knows entrepreneurs actually need to be successful. So Mentobo was designed... Um, it was actually designed for before the pandemic, but we put it on hold, um, and we're just now relaunching Mentobo. And uh, 
So yeah, any aspiring, um, you know, uh, entrepreneurs out there or, or pretty much anyone, because I believe anyone and everyone is an entrepreneur. If you, if you think of the big picture, I mean, we all wake up every day, we all invest our time. We all want to grow. We all want to succeed. And some people do it from a career standpoint. Uh, some people do it from a self, uh, you know, self proprietor standpoint, but we're all entrepreneurs at heart. And that's the premise of Ventobo is to really support each and every one of us to bring that entrepreneur inside really out to, you know, succeed at the business of life. I absolutely love that. I love the thought that everyone is an entrepreneur. Um, so we are the association of MBAs, like that's what the podcast belongs to. So mm-hmm. I'd miss if I did not ask you about how your MBA has helped you to achieve success and yeah, anything that you'd like to say about it. So, uh, so my MBA journey is very interesting. So, uh, I mentioned that I'm ex-military and when I was in the military, I actually started my first MBA with Cameron university. And, uh, I, I went down this path and, you know, it was more of a, uh, book based MBA. And, uh, you know, it, it, I would say that it gave me some of the, um, you know, uh, infrastructure needs such as, you know, some basics on accounting, finance, marketing, and so on. However, it didn't prepare me to be a, you know, an entrepreneur or business operator, you know, it just gave me these, like, it made me a generalist, um, that it, it did give me some knowledge, but I wasn't prepared. You know, I didn't feel prepared on what an entrepreneur or what a business owner really needed. And in, um, you know, about 10 years or so, Ago, I uh, I decided to actually apply and attend um, uh, Oxford University's uh, Said Business School for a uh, for their MBA, and uh, I was able to get in. And I spent 23 months in uh, Oxford, England, and I would say that the uh, the development of the MBA from where I started 20 something years ago to when uh, the last MBA that I did with Oxford University. It was a completely different, you know, experience. Uh, the Oxford MBA really immersed me into, you know, what it means to be, you know, part of a team. It was all about networking. It was all about relationship building. It was all about amplifying your your reach, your confidence, and those were the things that I was missing with the previous, you know, educational experience that I had. Like one gave me the book knowledge. Uh, Oxford also amplified the book knowledge, but it gave me the, it just took me to the next level. It said it brought everything that I knew, it applied it, and it showed me how to apply it within different, you know, business and entrepreneur, entrepreneurial cases. Um, I would say that it, um, it's not the reason why I'm successful, but is it is a contributor to my success. And, uh, you know, it's been a big part of my life. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. Absolutely. So thank you for having me, Ellen. Thank you so much to Paul for being on the podcast today. If you'd like more thought leadership, head to www.associationofmbas.com forward slash ambition. And make sure to listen out for the next Ambition podcast.